Hey, Tourpreneurs, it's Mitch Bach. And just a quick note before we begin today's episode, Tourpreneur is currently sponsored by Google. We're thankful for their support of our community, and we are offering with them a completely free course helping you unlock the power and potential of Google's Things to Do program, which is specifically helping tour operators add their tours to Google in new ways that gives you new exposure and more direct bookings. To learn more, go to tourpreneur.com slash Google. And as always, show notes, more resources, links to our newsletter, our business coaching community, and so much more are available on tourpreneur.com. Now to the episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Checkfront, the booking platform trusted by over 5,000 tour and activity operators around the world. You can start your own free 21-day trial over at Checkfront.com. Welcome to the Tourpreneur Podcast. Travel industry veteran Shane Whaley will take you on a journey with fellow tourpreneurs, sharing their tips, ideas, insights, and success stories to inspire you to make your tour business the best it can be. And now, here is your host, Shane Whaley. Hello and welcome to episode 160 of Tourpreneur, the podcast where we flatten the learning curve for tour operators and travel professionals around the world. Today, we continue our series, Blogging for Tour Operators. Today, we're talking all about everyone's favorite topic, SEO. We're joined, as always, by Doreen Wharton of TravelLifeMedia.com, and they are a tourism marketing agency. So go check out Doreen's website if you have some marketing needs. Actually, on that topic... I wanted to let you know that we're bringing a new bringing you a new feature called Meet the Marketing Agency. You know we've had Meet the OTA, we've had Meet the ResTech. We're going to do the same for Marketing Agency because I get a ton of email from you saying, "Hey, how do I approach an agency? How do I do my due diligence with an agency? How do I know they're a right fit for me?" So this is what we're going to do. We're going to bring a marketing agency on the show with one of their tour operator customers. We're going to bring on a shopper, a fellow tour operator, and we've got a special guest host who's a marketing expert, and she's going to host that brand new series. Hope to launch it in October. I think you're going to love it. Anyway, let's talk to another marketing expert today, Blogging for Tour Operators, episode 160, Tourpreneur. Doreen, welcome back to episode 160, of the Tourpreneur podcast. How are you? I'm good, Shane. As always, it's a pleasure to be back. Yeah, really enjoying this series all about blogging for tour and activity operators. What subject are we tackling this week? Well, we're getting to SEO for blog writing. SEO. So this is a fascinating topic because uh, there's so many different theories and philosophies around SEO. So I'm really excited to hear your approach and the recommendations that you're going to share, the value bombs that you're going to share with us tourpreneurs. Okay. Yeah, it's it's definitely an interesting topic, no doubt about it. And it's changing all the time. That's what I find difficult about SEO. It is hard to keep up, isn't it? You know, there's all these different rules and tactics, and then Google goes into, you know, has an update of some kind and things change. And then some people 
will say that one strategy works, others will say it's a waste of time. So Doreen, I'm excited to hear, as I say, your your take on this and what your advice is on SEO for tour operators. Well, let's talk about all those Google changes. Yeah. I think the first thing to know about anything related to SEO, especially with blogging, is it's always going to be a balancing act between good content and SEO. And we always hear in the news that Google has done a core update. They've changed this. The algorithm has changed. I guess I really want to emphasize when it comes to blogging that content really is king and good quality content is what is going to win the war. Now, there are the guys out there that want to beat the system and, you know, do all the, you know, keyword stuffing and all that kind of stuff. But the reality is, is Google is pretty darn smart. And every time they change their algorithm, they're changing things because they want it. They want to have the best authority content out there for their audience. They don't want to have someone type into Google, get an article that has not been well-researched or isn't by a credible source or, you know, they're stuffing keywords or whatever the case may be, they want to have the best quality content out there. And what Google has done is they, um, they have raters. So people, real people that go in and rate algorithm changes and they set up the, it's these people that set up a group of guidelines and the acronym is EATR, which these are not ranking factors, but what these are, are, are guidelines that Anybody that owns a website or is a content creator should follow. And they stand for expertise, authoritativeness, trustworthiness, and relevance. You know, I'm not here to tell you exactly what, okay, I need to write exactly this way to do it. But what it means is if you're writing a blog and you happen to have a source that you took some information from, you've got to credit that source. It's not your content. Or you want to appear trustworthy in someone's eyes having an author bar on the bottom of every blog is helpful, right? Because it says, this is the person who is wrote it. They've run a tour operating business for 10 years. They, they, they know what they're talking about. So as we go through this battle of SEO versus good quality of content, you will always be served by putting forward the best advice, solutions, and help to, to possible guests. I really love that part about the trust because I have to say I unfortunately have a negative trait which is I'm very cynical and when I search for things online whenever I come across a blog post a how to on whatever I'm always suspicious that oh this person's going to recommend this product to me because they're getting the most affiliate <laughs> money from it rather than oh this is a person who's really passionate about say uh, podcasting they're recommending five different editing tools and they're really going to you know share their expertise with you as opposed to be you know most of them i think it just oh well this one costs a thousand dollars or i'm getting 50 percent commission so that's the one i'm going to promote and some of those google updates as of late have been related to those things so those affiliate sites that are selling all this stuff and they have literally no description or very little reviews or anything on it, you're not going to necessarily be served a letter by Google to say, hey, you're, you've been penalized, but they're going to discount that information that's on there. So it's not going to help you to not have credible sources in there. It could be a recipe. It could be how to cook a certain dish. And they say, oh, I use these knives. And those knives happen to be, you know, $900 and with a link in this. It's not like I could still make the recipe. I don't need those knives. But that's what I'm always, are they really using those knives at home? Or are they just going to make a shit ton of money out of the affiliate commission? Well, and then what they need to do is linking, which is a whole big topic. 
is they need to qualify that link as whether it's a sponsored, if it's a sponsored link or not. Again, if you don't do that, like it's, it's kind of obvious to Google when you're being supported by someone or not. It's a smart system. Deliver the best quality content. That's, that's what I can say as it relates to SEO or just even just providing a good service to your readers. Yeah, and I think you, you can weave that in in terms of the way you write. So if you're writing about tours that you lead and you're actually reflecting on past tours and, and restaurants, you've, I think people then think, oh, this is a genuine person writing. This isn't someone who's got a recipe blog and they're just trying to make money out of the affiliate links. Right, and reviews. Why not put some reviews on your blog post as opposed to just leaving them for the main homepage? Write about what people have said and link back to the, the, the credible review. And I also like your point about expertise. You know, I often talk about our friend Rob Patingalo at, at Trip Hacks DC. I always love when he writes what to pack to visit DC in November. He lives there. I trust him. He knows what the weather's like. I've got no idea. Or this is how um, the easy way to get around DC with public transport. He's getting that expert status because, you know, I, I trust him. So it's like, okay, I need to buy that pass and use this... Uh, you know, method of transport, whatever it may be, that I think that really does generate trust and expertise. Then are the industries that you'll really notice this happening the most is in health and wellness and financial industry. So start reading some of those blogs that you've looked at before. You'll notice that they've really changed to make sure that it was a doctor that said this specifically. It's a huge crackdown because Google wants, we're in this world now of everybody's an expert. They want to make sure they're getting the most reputable information out there. Yeah. And I guess if we remember that Google's goal in life is to make sure that they serve the right information that someone is searching for, that's their goal. That's what they're trying to do. Maybe I'm being naive here, but that's how I understand their goal to be that if I search, you know, how to um, make a baked potato, I'm going to get that in the first link because back years ago, it was the wild west, right? You didn't know what you were going to get. Yeah, that's true. All right. So is that your first value bomb? So in terms of those ETH guidelines, have they published any resources for people to go and read and, and learn so we can implement it? I, that's the one thing that Google does do. You could read so many articles about it and specifically on their website. So Google Central, you just even type up the ETH guidelines and it'll go through it. So it's all there. It's all there in, in written out. And there's been a lot of really good quality articles written about it from search engine journal and some of the others that are that are credible but it is a guideline so is that telling you exactly how you should write no but it's just something to think about as you are writing that you know seo and the again the balancing act between good content and seo yeah and as you were talking here i was rudely just searched eat guidelines and yeah there's like 905 million results okay but you know, i'm sure you're going to be looking at that all weekend oh yeah no but this is really good because like you say it's it's uh it's a guide for writing like i i just write naturally when i blog i'm not thinking about eat and maybe i should yeah and there's just little things you can do so uh you know i'm i'm a big fan of about us pages yeah the about us page we know it's important to consumers who are, you know, who, who want to know who the people are behind the business, but it does matter in SEO as well. When you have that on your website, you're establishing the credibility that you have and trust that you have in that particular niche that you're in. Excellent. And I'll chase up some uh, links and resources and I'll add them onto the show notes page so we can go and check those out. That'll be at tourpreneur.com forward slash 160. What's your second piece of advice when it comes to SEO? Let's talk about keyword research. 
because, well, it is a big topic, but there's some there's some really interesting questions I get all the time. So let's start there. In the most basic context, let's say what keyword research is. We know that people that are listening are of all levels of SEO understanding. Keywords are, if you want to rank on Google, you need to tell Google what your article is about in the simplest terms. And the best way to do that is to put your own keywords. Well, do your own research, put those words in there because you're in control of, of telling them what your article is about. Like you're, you're going to know better than anyone what it is about. Now, the interesting thing about it is if you don't do that, you'll still rank for some words, but you don't have that control. You know, if you ever look on um, Google Search Console, you can look up um, by page what particular words that you're ranking for. And you're thinking, well, why am I ranking for this particular thing? It doesn't really, it doesn't really pertain to what I really want to talk about. So if you're writing about walking tours in New York City and you seem to rank for a word that says art, it's not necessarily directly related to that. You'd prefer that people find you through walking tours. So keywords, you can't really skip it when it comes to SEO. It's the backbone. With keywords, the other thing that I see all the time is that there's this assumption that I need to pick one word or one phrase. That is completely not true, especially when it comes to blogging, because you can rank for hundreds of words. Why just try to rank for one when you can rank for many? Because you don't know exactly how people go to get onto Google with their own voice or typing out how they're going to search for something. And everybody's different. You know, you have a sense by looking at keyword research, but people have a different perspective and angle of how they would get, get to that information. Don't pick one. Now, there is a strategy in picking the main keyword, but just picking one doesn't, doesn't serve you. The other thing is, and this is kind of like a pet peeve for me, when you go into a keyword search tool and you're looking for a particular word or phrase and you look at it and you say, okay, this has a thousand monthly page views and it's got a low competition score. So you look at that word and you think, bingo, that's my, that's my main keyword. Because you've looked at it in the sense that that keyword is in the whole universe of websites is low competition, but it's not low competition for your website. Domain authority matters. So it doesn't mean that you're going to rank for it. And I find that's sort of an instantaneous reaction. Oh, I've got this keyword. It's got high, high monthly search volume, low competition. Bingo. That's what I'm going to do. That, <laughs> that isn't the best way to look at keyword research. I will state an unpopular comment, but I believe in this is, especially with blogging, it doesn't matter how many people are looking at that word. If you can't rank on the first page, it's really not going to matter. So I don't know about you, Shane. How often do you go on the second or third page? Very rare. Very, very rare. So this is why those words that are, you know, 30 monthly page views, 100 monthly page views, you know, 300, 500, whatever, that adds up, that stacks up. So don't just discount a word when it's, you know, 30 monthly page views, because what if actually you got really good conversion with that word? That's 30 new people coming to your business. Now, I'm not saying you're going to get 100% conversion, but, you know, that's, don't discount the small words. Yeah. I mean, do you think it's healthy then to have a combination of, you know, the most sought after keywords and then looking at the long tail? Again, depends on what your domain authority is. And this might be worth actually doing something visual in the future that we could kind of do a, a keyword test and show you. But just as an example, to answer your question, say you and I are, we're both writing articles about, you know, walking tours in New York City. Say you've already written yours and I'm about to write mine. And so what I do is I do my keyword research. 
I look at that particular phrase and I can go on the first page of Google. So this is a keyword search tool. And I can see that you're up there, your article's there. You're, you have a domain authority of, say your domain authority is 25. And I can explain what domain authority is in a second. And then I see that you've got a lot of links that are going to that particular page. And you've also, you follow, you largely follow SEO rules. I could see that you've got a keyword in the title, in the URL, et cetera. With your domain authority of 25-ish, say my domain is, domain authority is 40. I look at that and I think, hmm, okay, well, he's used that word. And domain authority is a measure by Moz, which basically is going to judge how likely a domain has ability to rank to something. So if my domain is 40, I might have a better chance of ranking for that particular keyword in that article than you will, because I've got a stronger website. Now, is it a perfect, aha, uh-huh, I'm going to definitely do that? I have a higher probability of doing that because I've got a stronger website. I notice that you have a few links, but not that many. So I, I might gamble on how using that word. So that's a, that's a rudimentary example of how you kind of, you can look at it in terms of ranking. But then say you, your website, you didn't use different words. You just used kind of one keyword and you didn't use a bunch of other secondary words. Again, if I load up my, my article with some related words that relate to that specifically, I might actually be able to rank higher. Does that, does that as an example kind of make sense? It does. And I know we're going to get on to Yoast and those tools in a moment, because that's very often what I struggle with, even here at Tourpreneur, when I'm putting a podcast episode out or a blog, it's I have, okay, here are the main keywords. How do I then put in supplementary keywords as well? Um, So I'm excited to kind of find out more about that. A good example of that is, you know, I rarely write anything anymore with the keywords tour operator podcast because I've been around for three years. I'm ranked number one for that because quite frankly, there's very few tour operator podcasts out there, especially those that are still broadcasting today. However, you know, I really would like to rank for how to start a tour business because if somebody types that in, then tourpreneur is ideal for them. That's somebody who should be listening to the show and that's far more competitive. And when I go into that, you know, I see that uh, one, two, three, four, five, you know, I'm sixth. Damn you, trip school. Damn you, check front ahead of me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And actually, the reason I bring it up is the actual post that comes up is how to start a walking tour business with no tour experience. So that was well over a year ago that we recorded that episode. So obviously, Google is looking at, you know, how to start a business, but they've actually used the how to start a walking tour business and they've ranked that higher than in any other episode. So maybe the fact that I had the walking in front of tour business helped in my case. Yeah, it could have. And now I think you've made that you've done the right approach. So of course your your tour operator podcast, those are the words that are for your whole website. And you're probably ranking on that on really important pages like your your homepage, probably your podcast page. So you're right. Your blog should be looking at sort of other words and phrases and other themes and topics related to what you, you know, what you offer your audience. Yeah, I think what would be worth looking at is you want to, again, look at that list of primary and secondary words, and then look at who's on that first page and just understand how they've used it, what kind of links they're getting to their website with their domain authority. So it's, it's a bit of an analysis for sure. And you might decide because, hey, I can't, you know, trips goal, they're just winning on this word. What are some other words and phrases that I can use that that could get me higher up? 
as opposed to that particular one. What's your third value bomb for us after keyword research? Okay, well, let's go into the SEO tools because I know we've got a lot of tour operators that are listening that use Yoast or Rank Math. So let's talk a little bit about those tools. And I would say the, the most common misconception about using these tools is there's this notion that I get all my boxes checked, you know, the green, I get all my, you know, the green checks or the green, you know, button or whatever it happens to look like. And I'm like SEO winning. What those tools are doing, they're guiding you through on-page SEO process. What they're not doing is they're not helping you choose the keyword. They don't, they don't help you do that. So you could choose the worst keyword. You could choose, let's say you're choosing, you know, travel. <laughs> no one ranks for travel because it is the most competitive word out there. You pick that as your main keyword. It's still going to have all the green check marks that you've, you are a SEO god, but it doesn't mean you're going to rank. It doesn't mean you're going to rank on the first page for that. It doesn't. It means that it's giving you some guidelines to follow on how you set up on-page SEO. That is notoriously <laughs> the number one thing I see is, okay, well, but I, I do great on Yoast. What's my problem? Well, we let's go back and see what other things you're doing. And SEO just doesn't mean you win on on-page. There's, there's on-site SEO. There's, there's off-site SEO. There's other aspects. So it's just one aspect. Got a quick message from one of our sponsors, and then we'll get right back to today's show. Stay tuned. Do you spend many nights sitting at your desk trying to figure something out in your booking system to make it work better for your business? With Checkfront, you'll always have access to a friendly support team who's quick to reply with a step-by-step -step solution, no matter what you need help with. Find out other ways Checkfront can make things easier for you at checkfront.com forward slash tourpreneur. And for those who are new to the series, what are some of your favorite keyword research tools? Well, SEMrush is the most robust, in my view, the most robust system out there. It's expensive. It is not for the average day operator. And unless you're using it every day, for a bunch of different clients or a bunch of different websites, you know, that would be that would be one that I would always recommend. But I really like Key Search. It is $17 a month. It gives really all the information you need if you are a just a a blogger that bloggers either blogs either monthly or occasionally because it it gives you it allows you to do the key a really robust keyword search. It allows you to track your keywords. It lets you see what your competitors are doing. So I always recommend. You see, uh, this takes us back to value, value bomb number one, expertise and authority and trust. Because if you and I were just out for making money, we could have had this podcast and put a blog out and saying, yeah, everybody needs SEM Rush because we're going to make bundles of cash because it's the most expensive one. But you already have demonstrated your expertise and also trustworthiness by saying this is not for most operators. If I was to read that in a blog, I'd be like, oh, this person is worth following because she's not recommending the most expensive service. Yeah. I mean, well, it's, it's true. I mean, it's, it's expensive. It's over a hundred dollars a month unless you're using it all the time rigorously. Yeah. You know, there's reviewers out there that would totally be like, oh yeah, SEM rush. Oh, you need it. Oh no, no, it's an investment. You need it. They wouldn't be saying here's the $17 a month program. So I think you're just proving your point on the EAT. 
guideline? Well, for years, I saw a lot of bloggers recommending Bluehost as a, these guys are great. They're, mo- they're the cheapest. You pay for what you get for when it comes to hosting. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> so I, yeah, you're going to make your own conclusions when you start trying and using different services that other people have recommended. So going back to Yoast and Rank Math, I mean, do you feel they're still worth using? Because they're free, right? I mean, there's a paid version as well, but I just use the free Yoast. Are they still worth using? They are. Again, they're just a really good guide. So I, I've used both. I recently moved from Yoast to Rank Math for one, well, a few major reasons. One was as we're all trying to manage speed on our website. So, you know, when Google came out with all the core web vitals about how you manage in a page experience, one and and chances are if you have a page speed issue, 100% of the time, it's well, not 100%. Let's say 90% of the time it is related to plugins that you have on your website or pictures or something that's holding you back with your page speed. And we know it's a major factor when it comes to user experience, page rank. So p- speed is important. Now I'm trying to reduce the number of plugins on my website. And so I'm really going for, okay, what are the best ones on there? Rank math helps with the speed problem. It is, it's, it's not as speed heavy as it relates to Yoast. And I like a lot of the other features that it has for um, redirecting capabilities, 404s. I just find it's got better schema market, which is a more, it's a more advanced um, SEO um, thing going on. So I like it, but here's the one thing I would say about either. Yoast is good too. If you decide to buy the the paid, you're going to get extra features. So you can add in all those secondary words, like you said, you know, you can all add all those in. It allows you to kind of look at those words again and decide, you know, which ones are working for you. You don't have to. You, there's other ways of looking at secondary words. But I will tell you the the thing that I think is lacking on both of them is when you go through that list and you're getting your check green green checks, it really forces you to use that main keyword way too much. So when you go to Yoast and it tells you, you've used the main keyword four times, you know, we recommend using it seven times. I would really question that because again, there's keyword stuffing out there. When you take the main keyword and you continue to use it multiple times, it affects the look of your writing. And why not put those other secondary words in there? And it it's less risky from a Google optimization standpoint because keyword stuffing is a big thing that they look for. So that's the one thing I would say is a drawback on both of those is, you know, when it's telling you to use it more times, go back to your secondary keyword list that you've developed and put those ones in instead. You know, I've never thought of it that way because I'm always cheering when I get the green light. So, but of course it's not recommending. <laughs> well, okay. Yeah, but it's not recommending the right keywords for me. So that's when I have to it's go It's not back a keyword and, tool. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing. Yeah, it's an on-page optimization tool. It's not a keyword tool. Yeah, and I think we fall into the trap of thinking it is. What is your fourth value bomb for us today? Well, let's just talk about a few really good things you can have on blogs. Use your main keyword in your title, your URL, and your meta description. Always. I see people saying, hey, I I get on-page SEO, but when you don't, you don't include it in the URL, you don't put it in the meta description. It just you know, can I tell you how much that is, how important is that to, to SEO? I don't know exactly, but it is something that I've seen from years of practicing it. And people that I follow in the industry who do a good job is that title URL meta description, like really try to have that keyword in there. Yes, 
Yoast will tell you, you should have it at the very front of your sentence. It just doesn't always work. If you have a main keyword of walking tours, it doesn't always work that you put it at the very front of a, you know, of a title, but you know, you strive, you strive to do that. The other one is pictures. Let's talk about pictures because pictures not only will low this or slow the speed of your website, but having good picture management is going to help you in the long run as it relates to SEO. So there's three things you want to think about when you're adding pictures to your to your blog post. Number one, name the picture before you put it on. You took a um, a WhatsApp picture, <laughs> you know, from your WhatsApp account, and it's got the little string of like WhatsApp one two three four five. Change the name <laughs> of your picture before you put it on your website to something that is relevant for the picture. Anything that you can do to help Google figure out what your information and your pictures are all about is going to help immensely. The second thing is the sizing of your picture. So back to the, hey, Google, they're looking at page performance and website performance. Sizing of pictures is going to be one of the biggest challenges you're going to have as it relates to not only speed of your website, but just overall SEO strategies. And I know there's a lot of photographers out there and they're going to say, but no, my pictures, you're sacrificing the good quality pictures. The rule of thumb is that your picture should be around between 100. Well, there's different articles out there that say different things, but generally I've seen on average 100 kilobytes to 200 kilobytes. That is it. That is it. (laughs) It's, It's not much. It is not much, but I've seen good quality websites that have really good pictures that they make that happen. And so it's possible. There are plugins that you can you can reduce the size even after it's loaded onto your website, or you can use Photoshop and reduce it as well and try to manage it yourself. But honestly, that's one of the most important things that you can do is control the size of your pictures. And then after it's on there is putting and filling out the alt text. Filling out alt text is important. Now we'll get into keyword stuffing issues here. When you put your alt text in, don't always use the main keyword to explain. Explain what that picture is. Explain it. Now, you know, yes, there are some cases you're going to use the main keyword. Put in some secondary words. Do that kind of thing. But picture management would be one of the best things you can do for SEO when it comes to on-page. That's really good advice. I often get lazy with, with the alt tags on images because I think, oh, does this actually do anything really? And I guess I should go back and, and make sure I've added them. Now, again, can I tell you, it's going to improve your website by X. I can't tell you that. Is Google, do they open up the, you know, the Google Bible and tell us exactly how everything works? But just from everything I've seen, you know, spent time reading and working on, it has a bearing as to how much I can't tell you. What about titles? Because I did read somewhere that you shouldn't have more than one H1 title on a blog post. That's true. That's true. So H1, it's called a different things too. It's called title tag titles, whatever. So titles, and and they are, Google has affirmed it is a major ranking factor, your title. It's extremely important. It's extremely important to get that right. You know, if you can nail a great title for your blogs, and well, for your pages as well, that's going to really, really help you. It often takes me longer to come up with the title than it does sometimes to produce the blog post. Because even if you think if we were to write up this episode, for those heathens that don't listen to podcasts, we could have like 30 or 40 different titles considering what you've just been talking about, whether it's eat, whether it's, you know, why Yoast may not be right for you or whatever. 
you know, there's 30 to 50 titles we could easily come up with. And it's like, okay, well, which one do I want to rank for? Which one is going to resonate? That's the head scratcher for me. Yeah, it always will be, right? And that's that's the battle we all go through. It's like you want to press publishing like, uh, I'm not sure. I'm going to try. Now, in future episodes, we're going to talk about updating your content so we can we can touch on that topic. You know, what do you do after you've published something and you realize, hey, this isn't really... I want to change the title. I want to do this. So we we can we can touch on that um, in more depth. But yeah, it's it's difficult. It's difficult to find a title. But you just gotta go with, you know, you do your research, you have your methodology, and you just go for it. You gotta go for it, or you're just never gonna press publish. Yeah. And and it's that that constant question in my mind. So for instance, if I go back to the how to start a tour business. So if you put that in you know, it's okay, what titles are coming up? I've got one here, how to start a tour company with almost no money, how to start a tour operator business, how to start a tour company in a few easy steps already. It's like, should I put tour operator business or tour company, you know, or tour operator company. And also here, I like that how to start good job. uh, WPAmelia.com who has how to start a tour company in a few easy steps. That's quite a nice title. So I guess my my dilemma is always, okay, do I write a title based on what I think is going to rank with Google or more on the copywriting side of things where here most of these articles are probably going to say the same thing, but I'm going to click on one either because it's in first spot or because it has a more intriguing title, more enticing title. And that's something that I you'll notice that very often I will have the title for the podcast episode on the website maybe different than what you see in your podcast app because my feeling is you're already subscribed to my app uh, to my show through the app so I want to be a bit more giving it more sizzle in that title than maybe I am on my, the the website because I want it to rank for Google. It's the constant battle. <laughs> the most important thing would be. You start brainstorming, right? You start writing titles. Brainstorm first. Strike out the ones that truly just don't have the meaning that you're trying to bring across. If you're saying tour company and you just go, this really isn't about tour company. It's about tour operator. And you see a distinction there. Just cross those out. Like, just don't try to be clickbaity. Just, you know, put in the stuff that's there. I mean, for instance, if we were to title this three reasons why tour operators shouldn't use Yoast right? Just for argument's sake, you know, that might prompt more people to go, well, I'm using Yoast. And I, oh, I'm going to listen to that. But where is that going to rank me on Google? Probably nowhere. The first step that I mentioned was do your brainstorming of, of titles. The second thing I would do, go do your research. So go look, go look who's on the first page of Google, do your keyword research, get a sense of what kind of, you know, volume is out there, what kind of other secondary words you can do. You got to, you got to do those two steps first. The third thing is probably there is some headline strategies out there. You know, how to write the perfect headline. When you have a number in a headline, often that that can actually do really well for you because it's attraction. It, you know, it gains attention. So you got to combine all those things and then you got to make a decision. <laughs> and so you got to combine a bit of the science of SEO with with your gut as it relates to the message that you're trying to bring across. Yeah, it was interesting. I was looking at one of our listeners' sites, so Brian at crawlneworleans.com, and I was looking at his blog, uh, which is crawlneworleans.com forward slash blog. I was looking at some of his titles, and, you know, he has, and I'm not being critical here, Brian, you know, the first blog post is things to do in New Orleans 2021. 
And then I went and searched for that and couldn't find his blog post anywhere because clearly that is extremely competitive. But then another one of his blog posts was six must-try New Orleans frozen drinks, New Orleans drinking tours. That one did come up. Five reasons to take a New Orleans haunted ghost tour. That, I think, came up first. Chances of me writing five reasons to, or searching for five reasons to take a New Orleans haunted ghost tour is very slim, isn't it? But because he's ranking so high, I'm guessing he's going to rank for New Orleans haunted ghost tour. Yeah, I, it would be worth to really get a sense of what's going on there. It'd be worth just seeing what else is out there. But chances are, yeah, like frozen drinks, haunted ghost tours. Again, those are long tail keywords. So the probability of ranking for that is higher. So that would make sense. And I guess the challenge is, I've just done this myself because I'm going to London. I just went into Google and I put things to do in London. But then what happened was, you know, it just brings back, it's so broad that I then went back and narrowed it down to Indian food tour of London. Guess who was on the top of that list of things to do in London? TripAdvisor, Booking.com, all those big guys, you're never going to beat them. Exactly. You're never going to beat them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I like what Brian has done here where he's got the the frozen drinks as part of his drinking tours and reasons to take a New Orleans haunted ghost tour. Here's one thing to mention related to that. So I know we're talking about this. This is a specific podcast about SEO, but there will be articles that you're not going to care if you rank for them or not. You just want to write them because they're important to you. They're important for the purpose of your business. Just do it. People that care about those things are going to find you through that. There's going to be people that are going to be searching your website, looking for things, and they stumble upon that article about that. Those are the comments that you get from people saying, oh, I read this article about your, your background and what something that you faced about this. Those things are important. Don't discount those based on this, this conversation we're having about SEO, because I still will always say it is a balancing act between good content what you believe in, your purpose, SEO, like those things matter. So don't just, you know, you can't just go the SEO route. You just can't go the content route. You got to kind of look at it holistically and then make a decision from there. Yeah. And I would also say that, you know, priorities first, make sure that your tour descriptions are spot on. We've talked about this before. Make sure you've got great photographs of all your tours and activities before you venture into blog land, because the ROI on blogs can take some time to to come in, right? Whereas if someone is landing on your main site, you know, you want to make sure that your storefront is looking good before you worry what's in the other parts of the shop, in my own experience. Yeah, I'd love your opinion on something. This is relating to tour operators, because for for service related things, um, it's, it might be a little bit different. But, you know, we've got a lot of websites that label it blog. I'm always very curious if people search out blogs, or if they search out resources or information or insights about it, or something that's going to get them to click on something beyond the word blog, because blog has a lot of connotations. I'm just curious what your views are on that. I think my views have evolved and changed. I said, if we were having this conversation, maybe even five years ago, I'd be like, oh, yeah, all about the blog. Now I think the word blog could put people off because what I'm noticing is people online don't want to read lots of content. They want it bite size. And I think the word blog can conjure up, oh, I don't have time to read a 2,000-word blog. I just want to know how to bake a potato in the oven or whatever it may be looking for. So I think people will come across those articles for something they're looking for, and then they might dig deeper and go, oh, this, this writer is really interesting. I like the style, and oh, I'm going to dig around her website. And then 
you already bought in. But I think when you're introducing people to your website, the word blog, I don't know how many people would click it. So if I'm looking at food tours in London, am I going to click on his blog? No, I'm going to click on the, the tours, the photos, the prices, the availability. And then I might click blog to see what this person got to say for themselves. I've seen a number of different operators use information resources. They call it blog, but just because you're not getting a lot of traffic for your blog doesn't mean it's the word either. You know, I've seen it often really difficult to find. So it's a question that I don't have an answer for. I'm just curious what, you know, your thoughts are, because it's, it's an interesting one. It is, but I think it's a good habit to get into because it keeps your site fresh. We know that Google likes fresh updated content because if your tours aren't changing, or they only change once a year, you're not really having much to add to the site. Although maybe there's some new photos, but with a blog, if you were to add a weekly or a monthly blog, my understanding is Google likes that, likes the fresh updated content. It can see that your site is modern and, and recent and current. So again, there's all these other benefits that I think will help the website rank. Yeah, and I was referring just to the title of what that is, but we're also talking about just people that are already on your website because people will find you through a particular blog post that you have on the internet. People are coming through multiple ways. I wonder if this, maybe we can brainstorm this for a future episode or on our Facebook group. If you've got a suggestion, let us know. You know, what are some other words we can use instead of blog that could encourage people to click that link and then read the blog posts? Yeah, when people are already on your site. Uh, I just think the word blog today, it's like you've got to be really invested and interested in that topic before you click blog. I'm the opposite. When I'm writing blog posts now, you know, I want people to find my blog post, to read it, and then go, oh, wow, this guy's got a podcast. I need to check that out. Now, that's the reason I'm writing that blog, because it's easier to rank a blog post than it is a podcast episode. So on the bottom, your call to action, you've got it going to the podcast? Yes. And I can do better on that. There's more call to action I can do. I was just actually on a, a, a guy's website, a blog, and he has a podcast and it, it came up, take a preview of our podcast. And I was like, oh, that's a cool idea. Because so many people land on our site and don't realize there's an, a, an accompanying podcast. Yeah, or you could also just even put a, a quote from the podcast and say, in our recent podcast interview, you could put it and you could click to the, the page. Oh, if only there was 30 hours of- in 30 hours in a day, I could. <laughs> but no, you're right. And it's I, I, sit, I say this because it's the same for tour operators. If someone stumbles, they're just looking for information on a landmark, they read your blog and they think, oh, wow, this person offers tours. Oh, if I go to London, I definitely want to get a tour with, with this lady. She seems fun and she knows her stuff. And I think that's also another benefit of writing blog posts. You're keeping it current and alive. So Shane, to reduce the overwhelm for that comment, I would say to you, just go back to your your high performing blog posts and see what you can do to optimize and put more sort of podcast related um, information in there. And then just, you know, take your top three and then you feel like, OK, I've done something to accomplish that that goal of getting more people to the podcast. Absolutely. No, it's a very good suggestion. So your your fifth value bomb. Let's talk about the big topic of links, but I'll, I'll make I'll make this one short and. What I've done to help is I've put together an SEO blog checklist, a pretty big and in-depth list to, to help people guide them through some on-page SEO. But what let's let's talk about internal linking. Um, you know, when you're writing that blog post and you decide, okay, I need to put some, not, not everybody may know this, but putting both internal and external links on a blog post is very helpful. So an internal link, of course, would be your own post of something else that's related to it. 
And the reason why you would do that is because you want to guide people to other content of yours, and hopefully they'll click on it. Not everybody does, but hopefully they will. And the secondary reason is internal linking is what we call on-site SEO is very helpful because you're connecting major pieces of information to each other. You're building a system here. <laughs> Your website is a system. So when you're, say, for example, you're you're writing a blog post article and maybe it's not a particular article, but maybe it's the category that you want to get people to read. When you put in a link to your, your category, that not only helps someone guide them to the whole set of articles that relate to that particular topic, but you're also doing on-page, on-site SEO, which is telling Google again that this, this blog is related to this particular mainstream. Like the hierarchy of your website plays a lot of importance in SEO. So those things are really helpful to do. And I would always recommend you put at least two to three internal links in when you can onto every blog post. Now, the same goes for external. So I know there's sometimes a reluctance to put in an external link because you think, okay, there's another article that was written about this particular topic. And, you know, I don't want to, it's a competitor of mine. I don't want to direct people to this. From an SEO standpoint, I would say that it's helpful in a number of ways. One, if you were to pick a blog post that was related and no, it doesn't necessarily have to be competitor, but something similar, and they have a higher domain authority than you, that's going to help show that you're putting a credible source on that blog post. Those things are really helpful to do. So ex- at least one external link. I, I often do three, but I have a different kind of blog. It's marketing. So there's a lot of marketers out there that have a lot of good information. It's really going to depend on the subject. External link is helpful. It never hurts for backlinking possibilities, which is a future topic when you're citing other people's work because they're more apt to share your work. I would recommend that. And then also be careful about anchor text, what you're calling that. So when you know when you put a link in, a lot of people say, hey, if you want more resources about this, click here. And then they link, they put a, a link onto here. That doesn't help you. They want the anchor text, what we call it, the text on it, to be something that is related to the article. It could be a secondary keyword. That's another good use of secondary keywords. Something that would indicate that that information is useful <laughs> to the actual article as opposed to here, because it doesn't help you. So it's not about just guiding people to good information. There's also the interweb on-site SEO that's helpful with a good anchor text. That's a really good tip. I know I'm guilty of that myself, often just linking to the here and not coming up with a secondary keyword. I've learned from other people to say, hey, this doesn't help you. Why do you do this? Okay, I'll change it. Yeah. I don't know. Sometimes I think stupidly think, oh, Google might like my blog post because I'm not doing the anchor text thing with keywords. They might like that I'm just putting here. They can see <laughs> they can see I'm not trying to game it. But I think again, I'm being naive. Yeah. What I would say is don't go and take your main your main keyword and just insert it in every anchor text with every link. Don't do that. Absolutely. So you said you've created a checklist. I have. Where can we find that, Doreen? I'm just putting the finishing touches on it. So I will, I'm going to send Shane, I'll send you the link so you Brilliant. can put it in the show notes. Fantastic. And then you can go through all the steps that I, I've mentioned, but also quite a few others that will help guide you through on-page SEO with a little bit, a little bit more detail than what your Yoast and your, your rank math guide do for you. Brilliant. I know that we, we would all love to get a copy of that because uh, we all need help with this, especially those that have just been relying on Yoast. What are we talking about next? What's the next topic in our blogging for tour operator series? I believe the next one we were going to be talking about why you should update your blogs. 
and how to evaluate blog performance. Exciting. No, <laughs> is it exciting? Well, it is because it's something I never do. I write the blog and I move on. I don't, you know, because I'm not a tour operator, maybe that would be different. But, you know, I, I publish the blog, I, I move on. Maybe if I see it come up in my analytics, I'll go back and look at it. And particularly if it's ranking high and say, what was it that, about this? But it's not something I, I'm kind of write it and move on. So it is exciting. Okay, it'll be a good topic then. Doreen, where can people find your website? If people want to work with you one-to-one -one because they're like, I don't want to do all of this stuff myself. I haven't got time for this. I want to work with a professional. Where can they find you? You can find me at travellifemedia.com. I also hang out on the Tourpreneur Facebook page. You can always, you know, find me there. And you can go to another Facebook group, that, which is just for marketing, which is called Tourism Marketing That Works. You can also find me there. I will add all those links to the website because you've just told me it's really good to link to other good resource websites right there so, you go <laughs> that's it in practice <laughs> marvelous well you can find all the show notes for today at tourpreneur.com forward slash 160 Doreen, thanks a million you've just given us an hour of your time once again uh, sharing your knowledge with all of us in tourpreneur land that you know really want to improve our ranking and our SEO and, you know, just, just have make, make the blogs worthwhile. It takes a lot of time to put these together and we want to see some kind of ROI on it. So thank you for sharing your knowledge with us. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to the Torpreneur podcast. Be sure to visit torpreneur.com to join the conversation and access the show notes, including links to the resources mentioned on today's episode. This is Torpreneur.